Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of English with Tim, the podcast where you can learn English in depth and detail. This week, I was planning to give you um, another detailed linguistic type um, episode like I gave you last week. Um, but actually, I had a pretty rough week. Um, I went back to school. It's the first week returning to school as a teacher for me. And, um, you know, switching from waking up at 9 o'clock in the morning to getting up at 6.30 in the morning um, and then being in contact with a bunch of kids was pretty rough, honestly. Um, and I got pretty sick. Um, not massively sick, but just very exhausted and had other stuff going on, too. And then family came into town, and so I thought I'd just tell you an interesting story instead. Um, and I have a lot of interesting stories. So um, I wanted to tell you about a bicycle tour, a rather nightmarish or nearly nightmarish bicycle tour that I went on um, outside of Moscow in 2009. Um, this is when I was still living in uh, Moscow as an English teacher. You know, I lived there from 2006 to 2009. And um, I, at the time, was kind of... I had this, this dream of riding my bicycle around the world from, um, you know, southern Africa to northern Africa and then from western um, Europe to um, Easter, the easternmost part of Russia, and then from, you know, Alaska down to Tierra del Fuego in the south of South America, you know, the, the axes of the world. And, you know, much later I kind of, I don't know if I gave up on the idea, but I um, kind of realized that riding a bicycle is not that interesting. Um, of course, you see a lot of interesting people and places and so on, but um, I don't know, getting my, my butt hammered by a bike seat um, for eight or ten hours a day kind of lost some of its appeal. And I also don't think that um, that amount of exercise is actually healthy. Um, you know, one, two hours a day max, and um, beyond that, um, I'm not convinced of the health benefits of exercise, and in fact, it might even be harmful. Is that a scientific opinion based on anything solid? No, not really. Um, in any case, um, I was thinking about this, you know, worldwide tour, and um, so I, you know, went on a little practice um, bicycle tour. In fact, this was the second or third tour that I went on. The first two were very tentative. Um, tentative means, you know, unsure. It's kind of an attempt, but not one that has um, completely... Uh, developed. So these were tentative bicycle tours, you know, they were feeling uncertain and only went for you know, a day or so. So in this third tour, um, I went from Sergeyev Posad and was planning to go all the way to Yaroslava, which is about three or four days away on a bicycle. Um, and um, instead, it got cut a little bit short, but I'll tell you why that happened. Um, in any case, it was a very interesting tour, and um, before I left, I had already bought a bicycle. I bought a mountain bike, um, and I chose a mountain bike because, um, well, a road bike was just not really suited for the roads that um, are around that part of the country, or really most places in Russia, honestly. Um, at the time, I, I can't say how well the roads um, have developed since then. Maybe they've gotten a lot better, but um, at the time, anyway, I thought it was uh, better to be uh, better on the safe side, to go on the safe side, rather than to buy a bike that was, you know, fast and had skinny tires, but couldn't handle um, the, the, the possibly bad road conditions. Um, so, yeah, from Sergeyev, Sergeyev Posad to Yaroslava was the plan, and Sergeyev Posad is, um, for those of you who don't know, is about an hour and a half outside of Moscow, to the north of it. Um, 
And so I bought this bike and tried to buy some equipment. Um, I bought a rack. A rack is a kind of a flat platform that you attach to either the rear or the front of the bike, usually the rear of the bike. And it this flat platform or rack allows you to carry um, equipment, for example, a tent, which is what I carried, a tent and a sleeping bag. Um, because I was planning to sleep in the forest, which people advised me against, but I didn't really see another option because there weren't really hotels, and this was before the era of Airbnb. Not that I think there's a lot of Airbnb on the road between Moscow and, or Sergeyev Passad and Yaroslavl. In any case, um, I took the train um, to Sergeyev Passad. I got off the train at maybe 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. I'd been hoping to get on the train and get off, well, get off the train at maybe 10 o'clock in the morning at the latest, but I always depart later than I hope to. And um, in the beginning, the uh, road was pretty uneventful. Um, I didn't have a phone with me. You know, this was um, kind of pre-smartphone. People were just getting smartphones. And I kind of look back with some nostalgia for that um, for that time because nowadays, almost anywhere you go, you can get a digital map um, and navigation will be relatively easy. There's no such thing as getting lost anymore unless you do it voluntarily. And then even then, you know, you can just almost ask almost anybody and everybody's got a phone and, and Google Maps or the equivalent of it, and you can find your way back to where you need to go. There might be some danger in asking people, but um, nonetheless, you know, um, digital maps are ubiquitous now. Ubiquitous means they can be found everywhere. So yeah, digital maps are ubiquitous now, and so that was a different time. And so I got riding, and I'll just share with you first some of my general impressions. Um, My impression was that I felt like I was kind of in a russified version of the upper U.S. South, so the northern part of the southern part of the United States. The road signs looked pretty similar. The plants um, and animals looked pretty similar. Um, The weather was relatively similar. This was August or so, July, you know, mid-July or so, 2009. And... The road um, was pretty good quality. There were some holes in it at times, but that's to be expected. You know, there's a lot of snow um, for large parts of the year, and, you know, the water and ice, you know, water gets into the cracks in the road and freezes, and then the ice expands, it gets bigger, and it makes the cracks bigger and so on. So even the best roads are going to have some problems with them, unless they're, you know, like actually right inside of um, Moscow proper. Um, so I was glad that I had a mountain bike, um, because the the tires, the bigger tires were pretty useful. They did slow me down quite a bit, but, um, you know, slow but steady wins the race, as they say. Um, and other impressions, um, and common sights. So, um, common sights, um, on the side of the road, you know, very often there were, um, very slim, you know, maybe like three or four centimeter thick, um, gas pipes, um, that ran along the sides of the road, and when um, the road would turn in, um, you know, it would take a 90-degree turn off of the main road, then those pipes would, you know, also bend up so that a car could drive under them. Houses were all made out of wood, um, very brightly painted, um, and um, with, you know, some pretty elegant designs around the windows. Um, Houses often looked pretty old, but the windows looked pretty fresh. Um, You could see... Most of the cars going back and forth were actually reasonably new. Um, There were fresh Volvo buses going back and forth. Um, You could see some Ladas and things driving around. Um, But overall, the impression was that 
this was a road that connected to rather um, economically developed places, which is the case. Um, at the same time, you could also see people on the sides of the road, you know, men in their late 50s, early 60s, um, who were trying to sell root vegetables on the side of the road. So, you know, uh, potatoes, carrots, uh, turnips, um, radishes, and so on. Um, things that don't um, spoil, don't go bad very quickly. And, you know, they were wearing their old military uniforms and looked like people that had been left behind by the economy. Um, I felt kind of bad for them. Um, a more humorous example of this phenomenon came when I was... Um, I approached a couple of women who were um, on the side of the road, and they were selling stuffed animals, you know, soft toys for children, you know, like uh, monkeys and uh, giraffes and so on. And uh, most of them were very brightly pink-colored, these really shocking bright pink and orange and green colors and so on. And um, I stopped and I started talking to these women, and I was in a pretty bad mood. You know, I hadn't eaten enough and um, just had been sleeping badly and was kind of using this bike, bike trip as an escape um, from everything. And so I approached these women and they were just in a really great mood. And, and I asked them, you know, like, how do you make enough money from selling this stuff? And they said, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, we've got some vegetables and stuff. And I said, well, how much, I mean, do they, does the factory or whatever pay you enough? They say, they don't, they don't pay us. They just give us, we work in there and we get these stuffed animals. And I thought, wow, this is really not something that's common. I think even at the time, um, this was a, you know, a phenomenon, um, of getting paid in, um, in goods that your factory manufactures. That, that was already a phenomenon that was dying. But nonetheless, these women were paid in stuffed animals, and they were in a really great mood. And I took that as an indicator that I should also be in a better mood. <laughs> because, I mean, if come on, if you're selling stuffed animals on the side of the road and living off of potatoes and carrots and stuff out of your garden, and you're still in a great mood, then probably I, as an English teacher who got money from, you know, chatting with people, basically, um, should also be in a better mood. But, um, yeah, so at the end of the first day, you know, it's getting to be that point where the sun is starting to go down a little bit, it's, and your body starts telling you it's time to start worrying about where you're going to sleep. So um, I approached a, um, a cafe. Well, cafes being very generous. It was a very simple... Um, well, calling it a restaurant is also not quite correct. It was a very simple building made out of um, gray bricks and with, you know... Uh, very simply constructed concrete between the bricks, just kind of concrete that had been slapped between the bricks, very simple constructions. And um, it was, you know, partly very simple restaurant and partly, um, you know, very simple supermarket. And I went inside and I got some um, some food and I ordered something to eat and drink. And I sat down at the table outside of the um, this little building. I was right next to a bridge and the bridge was wasn't quite a bridge because it just went over a very small creek. Creek is an extremely small river. Um, and there was the pipe from the toilet <laughs> leading right directly from the, um, this restaurant, you know, going directly into the, this very thin creek below this, you know, not quite bridge. And as I was sitting there and eating, um, and thinking about where I was going to put my tent and worrying a little bit about this, um, a group of people came up, um, on a motorcycle, um, with a sidecar. Sidecar is like a small extra platform with an extra wheel on it that's attached to the motorcycle and has a, a seat on it. So it was a motorcycle with a sidecar and three or four very aggressive looking guys, um, 
two of whom were kind of purple in color, um, got off of the motorcycle, and I thought, oh, shit, this is not good. And they went inside, and they, um, some of them sat down with me, and some of them, um, went inside to, um, you know, get something to eat or drink, and they came out with a bottle of vodka, a very stereotypical situation, and I thought, my God, what am I going to do? So they sat down, and, you know, they opened up the bottle of vodka, and, um, also took out some oranges that they had bought and started to take the skin off of the oranges, and the orange juice started to clean their hands. I could see actually how dirty their hands were um, by the fact that the orange juice was cleaning it off, cleaning them off, rather. And um, they asked me, they said, you know, are you going to have a drink? And I said, no. And they said, well, come on, you've got, come on, you have to drink with us. And they started taking shots, and I thought, this is not a great situation. I was wearing my camera around my neck um, in a case, and I thought, you know, this is also not good. And um, they, again, you know, kept on pressuring me to drink. And I said, well, you know, guys, you, you Russians, you won the war, not not us. Um, you know, you, you guys have thicker blood. You have stronger, better blood than me. I can't handle this. Um, I can't handle this kind of drinking. And so it kind of defused the situation or solved the situation temporarily. And I was still thinking about what I was going to do. And... Um, as I was doing this, I saw two guys walking towards me in the distance. You know, they were maybe 200 meters away or so. And one of them was um, small and thin and wiry and um, wearing just jeans that were kind of riding rather low. And he was wearing flip-flops. The other guy was a little bit older and he had kind of long yellow hair, like kind of a an 80s rock star that had, um, you know, not lived his best life, um, was going a little bit overweight and um, I thought, I don't know what to think of these guys, but they look better than the ones who are around me. And they sat down, and one of them, the uh, the guy with the yellow hair, and rather thick glasses, too, looked like really thick reading glasses. He looked really out of place. They sat down, and I discovered that the, the, the second guy, the older one, um, had been able to speak some English. He could speak English still without an accent, but he couldn't say much, which I took to indicate that he um, had been able to speak English much better before and had kind of lost his skills. Um, but we were able to communicate, and I used English to, you know, not be understood by these um, rather suspicious and dangerous characters around me. I explained the situation to him, and he told them, these, these guys around us, he said, guys, you know, um, this guy here, this American businessman, we need to go, uh, me and my friend here, we want to talk with him about some business, and we will meet you at the lake soon. Um, we will buy you a large, we will buy you five bottles of vodka, and he will come with us, and we'll all drink together. And they believed this, and they also asked me at one point, though, they looked at my camera around my neck, not knowing what it was, um, and they said, what is that? And, um, I started to pull it out, and the, the guy, you know, the, the, this, this yellow-haired fellow said, no, stop, 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 stop. And obviously I shouldn't have been taking the camera out around these guys who would have gotten beaten up and have the camera stolen immediately. Um... And um, I said, you know, changing the topic, I said, no, actually, I was um, an Olympic cyclist. The camera brand was Olympus. And I said I was, you know, an Olympic cyclist, and I had won a gold medal in the Olympics some years before, and that was my medal. <laughs> they, they believed me. Um, God knows why they didn't want to steal my supposed medal. But, um, yeah, they... Um, they left um, on the motorcycle, and immediately these two guys said to me, 
Timmy, you've got to pay and run. We're going we're gonna to leave now. So we put the money on the table, and as soon as these guys were out of sight, we ran across the street. I didn't know where we were going, but we crossed over, and soon I realized that we were next to a school, and they explained to me that they were construction workers and that they were from... Oh, I forget which part of Moscow they're from. One of them was from Astrakhan, and um, the other one was from an exurb of Moscow. And they said that they were repairing this school, um, and they took me inside, and they sat me down in the teacher's room. Um, Teacher's rooms in Russian schools, from the ones I've seen, they tend to be long and very narrow. Um, And this was no exception. Long, narrow room with a kind of a long, dusty couch on it, and behind it, um, a very wide map of the Russian Federation, you know, like these giant 11 time zone maps that show how big and wide the country is. Um, and I sat down on the couch, and again, this question of the war came up. Um, people are just obsessed about this question often, and they said, is it true that Americans think that you won the war? And I said, well, Yes, but let me explain why. And I said, well, you know, people tell stories about their own countries, um, not about others' countries. And, you know, people came home from the war in the United States, and they made movies about what people in the United States had done. And then people in the United States watched those movies. And, you know, then they got the idea that that was what happened, and that was the only part of what happened. And um, that also, it was true, I pointed out, that in... Some American history textbooks, the ones that I've read at least, um, it does point out that, um, you know, who did different parts of the fighting and which countries did the most. Um, and they accepted this, and they said, okay, we can understand. That's It sounds, you know, it's not right, but it sounds like, a you know, a reasonable explanation. It's not completely crazy. And they offered me, very surprisingly, um, some non-alcoholic beer, and I didn't actually want any beer, and I said, no thanks. And um, one of them, the, this yellow-haired fellow, he said, you know, he kept on asking me, are you afraid, are you afraid, are you nervous, are you afraid, are you afraid, are you nervous? And I kept on telling him, no, no, but I, I was. And at one point he said, have you seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a movie, you know, it's a horror movie about, well, a, a chainsaw murder. Um, and... I just kept on telling him, well, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of that movie. And he said, you know, wait a second. And he came back um, about a minute later, um, walked away, came back carrying an orange chainsaw. And I was sitting, you know, on the couch with the map behind me. Um, and he was between me and the door holding a chainsaw. And he was asking me, trying to start the chainsaw in this very narrow room, pulling it with his arm. His, he had a very short kind of fat arm. He pulled it and he said, are you afraid? No, no, I'm not afraid. And he pulled it, and he tried to pull it on, you know, make it start again. And finally he failed, and he put the thing down, and he said, okay, I hope I didn't scare you. And I just thought, my God, am I actually with these people? This is absolutely insane. Um, And at one point they said, you know, let, let let us give you a tour of the school. We'll show you what we're doing. And, you know, I walked around the school with them, and um, they said that um, their main job there was, well, first they did some painting, and they were generally construction workers. They'd been in the Army together in the 1990s. They kind of waited out that really um, terrible economic situation. And when they got out of the Army, um, well, they went their separate ways, and then they met up again and started doing construction work together in the Moscow region. They'd wait for people to go on vacation, and then they'd move into the people's house for a while, not pay rent while they were there, um, 
do construction work or, you know, remodeling while they were in the apartments. Um, and in the meantime, they would rent out the apartments that they owned to other people. And so they were making all kinds of money and not paying any rent. And they were doing quite well for themselves. And they told me that their main job was to, um, to clean out guano from the roof or from the attic. The attic is the part of a building that is below the roof. The attic is usually used to store things. So they're cleaning guano out. What's guano? Guano is um, bat shit. So bats are like mice that fly. Flying mouse is what you'd say in a lot of different languages. So yeah, their job was clean guano or bat shit out from the roof. And I said, well, you know, how long did that take you? Did you have any, you know, breathing equipment or anything? No, 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 they just used shovels and things, and I thought, wow, this is really, you know, really bad working conditions. And they said, do you want to come up in the attic with us? And this voice inside of me said, no, I, I don't. But I heard my mouth say, yes, let's go. So that's what we did. We climbed up. They pulled, a uh, like, a ladder down from the, the, uh, the ceiling, and the three of us went up there, and this, this voice inside of me was saying, don't go up there, don't go up there, don't go up there. And we went up there, and they could have easily killed me and, you know, left me up there, and I would have never been found. Um, but that's not what happened, obviously, because I'm talking to you. And um, we looked around, and they showed me, you know, how much bat shit or how much guano had been in there. And it was about a meter high, actually. And I said, how long, you know, how long did they not clean this? They said, oh, it hadn't been cleaned since 1917. <laughs> I mean, they're just naming that year for an obvious reason. Um, and I could see that, you know, this, this guano had been about a meter high. And I said, you know, what was the terrain like here? What was it, you know... Were there mountains and valleys and things? And they said, oh, well, yeah, of course. You know, here was the, the Ganges, and here was the Mesopotamian River um, uh, civilization, and here was the Yellow River, and you can see how our civilization all grew up in shit, and that's why we are the way we are, we are today, and we all, we all had a good laugh, and I took a couple pictures of them. And, um, we got back down, and, you know, we chatted for a little bit longer, and they said, you know, we're going to give you a bed, and they came and they gave me a mattress, but the the springs had been removed from the mattress, and it was the filthiest, most disgusting mattress I've ever seen in my life. It looked like a couple had created a child on the mattress, and the man had left, and the woman had stayed pregnant on the mattress without ever leaving the mattress for during the entire nine months of her pregnancy, and then given birth on the mattress, and spent... Um, her entire life and the entire life of her child on the mattress together without ever leaving it and heavily ever exercising and then finally died and just gone back into the surface of the mattress. It was absolutely filthy and disgusting. And um, they threw this kind of shell of a mattress down on the floor and it was wet and disgusting, but it was better than sleeping on the floor, or maybe it wasn't actually. And I took off my shirt and I slept on this wet thing and I slept very badly. I didn't, you know, of course, know what these guys wanted, if they were really trying to help me or, or what. And I slept one of the worst nights of sleep in my life. Um, very shallow sleep. Not even enough to dream, really. And around 6.30 in the morning, you know, um, they came in to wake me up. And, you know, they didn't do anything to me. Of course, I'm still here. And talking to you again. And they took me into the teacher's room again, and we had some black tea with a lot of sugar added to it, and some cookies that seemed like they were made out of, like, compressed cookie dust, like, you know, cookie crumbs that had been smashed together to make cookies, again, really cheap, um, but very sweet cookies that woke me up, along with the black sweetened tea, and I was suffering from quite a headache um, from the whole, whole situation, and we went across the road again after hanging out for a while, and we went back to the same cafe. Um, 
sat down and um, ordered some more coffee. I ordered some coffee, and the yellow-haired fellow um, ordered um, first a beer and then a second beer. And then, you know, it was maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning, he ordered what he called a stop sign, um, which was a shot of vodka. And um, while we were talking, you know, he... um, I asked them, you know, guys, what would have happened last night if I had just run away from those guys, just gotten up from the table and just run or gotten on my bike? And they said, well, you know, if they catch you, um, they won't respect you because you ran. Now, if you fight or something or if they just beat you up, they'll probably beat you up and leave you. But um, if you run and they catch you, they'll have no respect for you, and they will really beat the hell out of you. Um and the, the skinnier guy said, well, you know, I have a different tactic. Um, I was at a family party some years ago, and I heard my brother-in-law beating up my sister. And so I went and I took an axe, and I came up behind my brother-in-law, and I put all obuchum. And I, I what, what? And he explained, he showed me with his hands, and he said, Lezvia, Lezvia is the word in Russian for blade or knife. And, um, you know, he made a knife with his hands, with his two hands, um, showing the sharp edge, and then the obuch, which was the, the, the flat back part of the, the, the axe. And I thought, oh, he hit him in the back of the head with the, um, with the flat part of the axe. Um, he blunted him, he would say in English with the axe, and I thought, oh, thank God, he, you know, he didn't kill him with the axe, and he said that, you know, a huge amount of blood came out of the back of his head, which, you know, is not true, if that much blood comes out of your head, you're gonna die, um, but he said that afterwards, um, you know, me and my brother-in-law were friends after that, and, you know, we've been friends ever since, and there's never been a problem since then, um, and I, you know, again, my opinion of these men shifted, and, well, soon enough, it was time to leave, and so leave I did, and I took their telephone numbers, and I never saw them again. However, about four years later, 2013, I called one of them, and the guy picked up the phone, and he, you know, he had some choice words to say, some bad words, and, you know, who's, who, who the fuck is calling me, and all this stuff, and I said, it's Tim, it's Tim. I don't know, I said, Tim, the guy on the bike, remember four years ago, remember the guy on the blue bike? And he said, oh, it's Tim, of course, hey, how are you doing? You know, (laughs) he was really pleased to hear from me. And um, after that, I lost contact with him, unfortunately. Um, The other guy I found on facefind.ru, which was, at the time, was operative. Um, It it no longer is, but, you know, at the time, you could plug in um, or upload a, a photo of just about anybody and um, then it would tell you, you know, all these these VK profiles. You know, this person is found here, and I found a, several people that looked exactly like the guy. <laughs> um, I mean, it's amazing how many people you'll find um, that look very similar to each other. But um, there was one that looked more like him than the other ones did. He had a certain expression on his face, um, a kind of a, a wisdom about him. Um, and so I um, wrote to him, and he said, who is this? Why are you writing to me? And I explained to him, and I thanked him for his services some years before. And we wrote back and forth, um, you know, several times. And um, I could see that he was very different. You know, this is obvious. But, um, you know, we shared our moment. We had a, our, our funny time together and didn't really write to each other afterwards. I also lost access to my account. I couldn't get back into it. And so I guess that guy is gone for good. But um, anyway, that was my story of my um, most interesting bicycle tour that I've ever taken. And I hope you enjoyed this, and I will see you next Monday.